We're continuing to see Jesus through the eyes of a number of different people who encountered him and, uh, uh, and the different perspective and point of view. But today, I'm going to really blow your mind because we're going to see Jesus through the eyes of Abraham. Abraham, who lived 2,000 years before Jesus. That's preposterous. But here's a verse of scripture in John 8:56, from which I get this. Your ancestor, this is Jesus speaking to some of the leaders who were criticizing him. He said, your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham saw Jesus' day and was glad. If you have a King James Bible, it reads a little differently. It says, your ancestor Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. That either translation can be argued for, but it proves the problem with this verse is we don't know what to do with the tense between Abraham and Jesus, who lived 20 centuries apart. And Jesus is making this astounding claim that Abraham would see his day and that he did see his day and rejoiced in seeing his day. What is Jesus talking about here? How did Abraham see Jesus or Jesus' day? What did Jesus mean by his comment? We're going to try to find out this morning through uh, the context of this verse in John chapter 8. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three Gospels, all follow a very similar uh, pattern of uh, events. And we can follow the basically three years of Jesus' ministry uh, after his birth and early episodes, but the three years of his ministry step by step through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, John was written later, and John wasn't as concerned about chronology. Uh, John appears to be telling a story about the significance of Jesus coming into the world. So we have to not uh, anticipate that because John does this in chapter 8 of 21 chapters, I believe, uh, that this was early in Jesus' ministry. Actually, it was late in Jesus' ministry because uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that early in his ministry, he kept telling the disciples and others who believed in him, uh, don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody you saw me do this miracle. Don't tell anybody that I'm making claims about being special in God's eyes and even God's son, whatever that means. Don't tell them. That's known by uh, people who have studied this as the messianic secret at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But there came a time when it was, it was ripe for Jesus to tell his story. And clearly, John is writing this passage during a time when Jesus was openly proclaiming his uniqueness and the focus, why the focus was on him. So John chapter 8 is a story about this, about a conversation he had with some of the Jewish leaders and 
uh, it revolved around Abraham, this man who lived uh, 20 centuries earlier. Well, we're going to begin in John 8, verse 30. As Jesus was saying these things, and we're not going to review that part of the conversation. As Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. A kind of interesting thing here. He's talking to people who many believed in him, and he's talking to these people who believed, I'm putting that in quotes, in him. They responded positively on their first encounter with him, but then these people who, verse 31, had believed in him, when they were confronted with the implications of belief in him, no longer believed in him. This is an interesting thing. So what is it that he said that started to make a gap between them? It is, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Okay, that word hooked them because they considered themselves to be free. Now, I, let's read this in verse 33. They answered him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Okay. They had been slaves to all kinds of people throughout history. Jewish nation had only for a brief period of time been independent. Most of the time they were enslaved by either the Assyrians or the Babylonians, later the Greeks and the Romans. So freedom was not in their genes. And yet, they needed to pronounce freedom. You know how it is, some of us who are slaves to some kind of addiction, like narcissism or drugs, we're, we're going to deny it. We're free. We're free. And that's what they were doing. And their argument was on the fact that they were descendants of Abraham. Now, Abraham, throughout this whole passage, seems to be on their minds. Let's watch beginning, uh, continuing in verse 34. Jesus answered them, very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Okay, you're free? No, you're a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, he's referring to himself. If the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. If, if you accept my word, then you'll know true freedom, Peter. Oh, but, no, this is me, George. But you say, I am free, I don't need you. Isn't that our response? That was their response. If, in, in verse 37, after he says, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. He says, I know that you are descendants of Abraham. Okay. Yet you look for an opportunity to kill me because there is no place in you for my word. I declare that I have seen the Father's presence. As for you, you should do what you have heard from the Father. And they said, Abraham is our father. Again, they pulled the Abraham card. 
And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, then you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you're trying to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Oh, you're indeed doing what your father does. They said to him, we are not illegitimate children. We have one father, God himself. So they re realized they were being backed into a corner on claiming descendants from Abraham. So they went beyond that and said, we're God's children. And they felt that that would make their argument. But Jesus continues to uncover their hypocrisy. Verse 43, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I come, came from God and now I am here. I did not come on my own, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot accept my word. You are from your father, the devil, and you choose to do your father's desires. He was not subtle, was he? He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's the one who's your father. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is from God hears the word of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not from God. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Okay. You want to call names. A Samaritan was those kind of half-breed uh, Jew Gentiles in their minds who lived next door to them. <clears throat> so they used that uh, S word, significant of some words we use today, to put them down. Jesus said, you want to be a Samaritan? Uh, well, you're also part of that demonic uh, uh, distortion of the truth. Jesus in verse 49, uh, that's what they said to him. Then in verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever keeps my word will never see death. Wow, he was really getting deep. Well, the Jews went back to Abraham, verse 40, 52. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and, and you're saying, if, if we follow you, we will never see death? We will never taste death? Abraham died, and, whoever, and so did the prophets. So you say, whoever keeps my word will never taste death? Are you greater then our father Abraham, who died, the prophets also died. Who do you claim to be? Wow, this thing is really escalating. Jesus answered, verse 54, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is the Father who glorifies me, he of whom you say, He is our God, though you do not know him. But I know him. If I would say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Are you ready for this? Verse 56. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced 
that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. That's the verse we started with, right? See how he got there? Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and saw it and was glad. The Jews said to him, mind you, when it says the Jews, it means these leaders. It's not speaking of all Jews, but of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? That's not what he said. He said, Abraham saw me. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Wow. Abraham had a vision. I'm going to read in Genesis 15:1 about how that vision came to Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. Based on that vision, Abraham left the area he grew up in, went off to an unknown land that God had promised him. And he was the forefather of all the Jewish people, as the Pharisees rightly pointed out to Jesus. And yet, in that vision, the same vision which saw the land and saw all the promises God gave to this special people, Abraham was seeing more. He was seeing the whole plan of God. He was seeing down to Jesus' day. That's what Jesus claims. Visions in the Bible are important. We have this vision to Abraham, but there are a number of times when, in the book of Genesis when it says, God spoke to Abraham and said, God spoke to Abraham and said. These are also visions that Abraham had. We're all aware of the vision of Moses, the vision that gave him the Ten Commandments, the vision that gave him the special knowledge of God's covenant name with Israel. And we know about the vision of Isaiah in the temple where God revealed himself and the angel said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. We know about other prophets and the visions they had, the visions of Job as he was talking with God. And there are visions around Jesus' life and birth, especially the vision to Mary and Elizabeth, I think we're going to talk about next week, uh, of the vision to uh, uh, Joseph and Anna and Simeon and the shepherds, these visions associated with Jesus coming to prepare the world to understand what Jesus' coming meant. And then the visions of Jesus himself in his life. We have a vision at Jesus' baptism that John the Baptist had of what Jesus, of Jesus' coming meant. And we have the vision of the transfiguration that we see in, uh, as Jesus is approaching his time of death. All these visions, it feels like there are these accidental alternative realities out here. No, no, no. These are glimpses of a greater reality that has always existed, will exist forever, and is more meaningful than our current life. I'm going to show that to you if you're patient with me. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus, in his own teachings, talked about the meaning of this vision. Luke 17, 20. 
once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming. When is it coming? And he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed. No one will say, look, here it is or there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. Our King James translation has within you, which is true as well, although he was talking to unbelievers here. So among you is probably the right understanding of this. The kingdom of God is among you, in your presence. It, things that are happening around you right now are part of the kingdom of God, and you just don't see it. John chapter 3 the story of Nicodemus, chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Jesus answered him, Truly, very truly, I tell you, no one can even see the kingdom of God without being born from above. No, Nicodemus, you're not capable of seeing it. And Nicodemus said, give me those eyes. And then we learn about the new birth of a person coming into God's kingdom. And then in, after his death and resurrection, uh, Jesus, uh, the risen Christ, met two disciples who were walking along the road, and they didn't recognize him. And then Jesus, during this conversation, he said to them, oh, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. He went back and showed these visionary people, Moses and the prophets are examples, who foresaw what was happening. I had to put that in the past tense, but that's not true. They were seeing an eternal reality. We're going to see that tense messes things up when we think in terms of past, present, and future. And then in verse, continuing in verse 27, as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if they were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us because it's almost evening. And the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. They still did not recognize him. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. There was not a new reality. It was just that they could now see the reality. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. How frustrating is that? He appeared for a little moment and he was gone. No, he was not gone. He just vanished from their sight. So he went, uh, excuse me, verse 32. They said to each other, this is really interesting. Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? They had holy heartburn, a number of people pointed that. Were our hearts burning within us? The, the feeling you have when you do encounter the eternal kingdom of God. You realize there's something powerful going on. 
You don't understand it, but you know you're in presence, in presence of a different realm, of a different reality. That same hour, verse 33, these two disciples got up, returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. Then they, were, they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of bread. He was always there, but he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. It's kind of a hint of what we have the chance to experience next Sunday in the communion service. Seeing Jesus, a glimpse of eternity in that uh, breaking of bread. Now here, I want, I want to show you a few things, summary of what we've talked about. We think of reality and then dreams or visions or moments of special insight. This is reality. This is imagination, maybe creative imagination, but this is reality, our life. You sitting on that bench. It's getting hard because it's straight up 12 now. So that's reality. The, where your mind just went, that, that's a dream, a vision, a, 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 the game you're gonna watch this afternoon or what you're gonna make for lunch. That's not reality. This is reality right here. No. <clears throat> Always reality is, is here, but eternity is alongside. And it doesn't just appear for a little moment. It's there always. You just see it for a little moment. You just experience it. And if you really experience it, if you really experience eternity, reality gets dimmer. Less real. Gets less real. Okay. In, in Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Actually, it, that verb was is a little more to it than that. Before Abraham was Abraham is kind of the idea. But before that, I am. Now notice the tenses. Abraham is someone who was. There was a time when there was no Abraham. And then he was, and then he wasn't. But with Jesus, it's I am. It's I am. And if that sounds familiar to you, it, it's based on a claim that he's making that goes back to the time of Moses' vision in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, when Moses encountered God, and he said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, you shall tell the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. This is what you shall say to them. The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham who was, the God of Isaac who was, the God of Jacob who was, is the I am. He's the one who has sent you to the Israelites. And out of that word I am, if you change it from first person singular to second person singular, he was, 
No, not. He is. I am. He is. That's the name Yahweh. The name that we have, the Jews have adopted as the covenant name based on what God revealed to Moses. So you see the claim Jesus was making when he said, before Abraham was, I am. He was hearkening back to what God said to Moses. I am has sent you. That is my name forever through all generations. Forever through all generations. Now here's a generation, Jesus' day. I am is here. They realized that he was claiming to be God himself. They realized that. And that's why they wanted to stone him because he was being blasphemous. It's a matter of perspective. Abraham lived in time, but he also got in touch with eternity. The facts of his life were past, present, and future. But in eternity, he was part of the I am experience. Was, he is, he will be. Judy was, is, will be. We can talk about any one of us that way because we are what we call reality. But I am is eternity. We think this is what's real. We put all our stock in this reality in these few years of life. A few of you are old enough to have a bucket list. It doesn't matter what you put in that bucket because it's all part of reality that's not as real as eternity. Because the truth is that time is the imaginary and that eternity is the real. This is what Abraham saw in Jesus. Looking down through the years, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day. The day is a word used in prophecy as anticipating a certain era of time. Well, this is my day, and Abraham saw my day by looking into the future? No, by looking into eternity. Because that day is beyond past, present, and future. His day is, and Jesus is really claiming to be the whole, the focus, the key, the lens to understanding, to seeing the kingdom of God and eternity, to seeing beyond the humdrum experiences of your life, which can be written down in a journal. The moment you experience eternity, you can't write down in a journal. You don't know how to describe it. Your words get all messed up. But the moment that you encounter God is the moment that gives eternity meaning in your life. I, I, I must admit that some of the songs we sing were, like we say, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, we invite you into, our, into this space. 
Man, he was here long before you even dreamed of this space. He is the reality. We are the imagination. We are the ones who float in and out. He is eternal. Have you had your Abraham moment? Have you encountered the Lord yourself? Whatever you've heard about him, uh, and, and you may have a pedigree in, in, in the church, you know, because you, you grew up and, and God's going to consider anybody part of his family. It's you, but you really never met him. Brought up in the church or been around Christian influences forever. Know everything about Jesus and then one day, one day, Everything changes, and, and maybe it's just a glimpse, but, but you sense reality. As an old guy, you know, I do think about that. And, and, and that vision of eternity is kind of a private thing. It, it's something you can't explain to others. But in that moment, when you don't see yourself as was, are, and will be, as past, present, future, you're in an eternal moment, in a moment of personal encounter with God. Nothing else matters. Time stops. That's what Jesus wanted these people to see. They were at that point right now when they could meet the I am and enter into eternity for that moment, maybe now they'll get hungry and have to be back in this real. But this is real. This is real. Kingdom of God. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you can't be in that kingdom. Can't even see that kingdom unless you are born again. Unless you are born anew. That's what happens when you encounter the Lord. And you can encounter him right now. Right in this moment, let's bow in prayer. I am, thank you. Being patient with all of our futile tries to describe you and your eternity and the meaning of it all. Right now, we, f we have a sense, a feeling, uh, an intuition, a, a moment which makes all of reality seem imaginary. Help us right now, Lord, each of us individually to experience you in the I am moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.